Welcome to the Your Life Choices podcast, and today I'm joined by my friend Sandy Kay, journalist for many decades, and Sandy's skills have been put to great use recording fabulous podcasts on her website, abreathoffreshair.com.au. Sandy's passion is music, interviewing artists of my generation and finding out about their lives, music and so much more. Welcome, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me, John Deeks. It's and wonderful to be here. We have a very special guest, an Australian music icon. We do. It's none other than the great Rosty Wiley. Yay, Rosty Wiley. <laughs> Welcome, Ross. It's so nice to chat with you again. Well, Thank you very much, you both. How are you all? We are very, very well. I have to remind you, Ross, and everybody listening, that when I was just a young girl, I was actually 13 years old, but I told you I was 16. You told me, you, yeah, hang on, hang on, where's this going? Where's this going? Yeah, no, no, this could be going anywhere, but when she said she was 16, well, if I hadn't have been married, we would have been... <laughs> You'd have been... I would have been in jail. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened, Sandy? I wasn't going there. I was totally in love with you, Ross G. Wiley, so I put my hand up to become the president of your fan club. And, of course, in those days, fan clubs were absolutely huge because there were souvenirs and letters and cards that went out to the fans, and fans right around Australia would write in. So I was the president, and I also lived around the corner from you in Carnegie. My girlfriends used to come over after school, our regular outing, instead of watching Bewitched or um, or smart, uh, Zorro or Get Smart, all that on TV. I know where it was. You know where it, it was. It was on my front major strip. That's yes. exactly <laughs> where we went. We headed to your house to wait for you to drive in in your beautiful Lotus Europa car. Good heavens. And it was very exciting for us. And then, of course, we'd toddle off home and all talk about how fabulous you are. And would Ross sign autographs? grass of the fans and... Yeah, I think you did, didn't you? You were very hospitable. I, yeah, well, you learned very early that anybody that's sitting out there in an audience is there for a reason, either to love you or hate you. Those that hate you, you find out who they are. That's who you work on. It's like the old adage of keeping your friends close and your enemies even closer. Yeah, uh, so true, so true. Yeah. So yeah. Th those were the halcyon days of you, Sandy Kay, as a, as a, a big fangirl. I was, I was indeed. And it was really Ross that set me off on a bit of a career path after, you know, being so infatuated with him and I knew everything about his wife, Eileen, at the time. I knew everything about him. I'd done my research and continued this every This is getting week. a bit weird now. Yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's yeah. leave it there. I enjoyed my time then and you were so super nice to me and my friends. I was very grateful. I never forgot that, Ross. And when we, nice. when we re-met just a few years ago with our mutual friend, we went for lunch, do you remember? And then you actually came to my house. Certainly. I reverted into being that 14-year-old again. I was <laughs> I was like blushing at you. It was a very weird experience for a 60-something-year-old woman. Anyway. I don't think so. I mean, I'm still a gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> and you always uh, not, will be, Rusty Wiley. You not, always will not, be. I love it. Not at all. You know how old I am? Tell us how old you are. Oh, well, I was born on the 21st of the 11th, 44. Wow, a war baby. However, <laughs> the research that I've done actually has you born in 1948. Well, that was publicised around about 40 years ago and everybody takes that as the gospel. So ah. did you put your age down? No, I did not put my age down. They got it wrong in the early days of my career. 
over the years, oh, Ross, you're born in 48. No, I was born in 44. Everybody yeah, else I'm... would lie and say, yes, I was. Yeah. Yeah. You're not that kind of guy, Ross, are you? No. You, you no, like to you tell the truth. Let me, let me remind our listeners that you were raised in Brisbane and your first gig, as I believe, was 1964 as lead singer of a band called the Kodiaks. That was the first band, yeah. yeah. In 1967, you were then a solo artist, and in 1968, you came here to Melbourne and you got a fabulous job as the host of a brand-new pop music TV show called Uptight for what was then Channel O. How did you get the job, Ross? Uh, well, it's going back. I used to go on the Sunshine Tour with the Easy Beats and... Um, Normie Rowe and the Playboys and Billy Thorpe and so forth. And on the poster, there was, and many more. And many times I was going to change my name to Ross and anymore because nobody knew who we were when you walked on stage. So I cut my teeth on going on the road with the likes of the boys I've just mentioned. Yeah. I amused myself by driving the Sunshine Bus right around Australia because nobody else wanted to do it. And I was enthusiastic, young, 17, 18-year-old, and I drove it. How I started was a guy called David Joseph, who was managing Snormy Road. And um, he saw my performance in Lismore. And all of a sudden, and many more, became Ross D. And then you became a somebody. So how did the Channel Ogre gig come about? Well, that came about by David came up to me after the show, which I absolutely, and I'm not patting myself on the back here, it was my town. You know, even though Rowie was there and, and Billy Thorpe and, and the Easy Beat, my people just went ape. And uh, David came up to me after the show and said, I might have something for you in Melbourne. He said, I'll give you a ring. And I had a man with a big cigar, blah, blah, blah. Well, he did ring a week or so later and said, um, I've got a, a proposition for you to come to Melbourne and compare a, a TV show. So, um, I said, no, well, tell me about it. He said, well, it's, it's, uh, you've got to fly yourself to Melbourne. You've got to accommodate yourself. It's a four-hour live-to-air, unrehearsed TV show, and I've got a 13-week contract, and it's $60 a week. <laughs> and, and this is 67 and I was making over 100 bucks with the Kodiaks and the Escorts on a regular basis. Anyway, I told him, I'll have a think about it. Mind you, I'd only just got engaged to the lovely Eileen and our wedding anniversary is next week and that's 50-something years. Wow, what amazing. It is, 54. In the end, I, I said yes after consultation with Lyle's. I said, if it doesn't work, I'll be back in 13 weeks. And what have we lost? Nothing. Yeah. And I was in Melbourne for four weeks, feeling absolutely beside myself and lonely. So I rang her and said, get your bum down here. And she said, no, I have to check with my father. She was 21 and I was 22. And uh, the old man said, yeah. So we drove to Melbourne and that lasted for four years. Mind you, the price went up a bit. <laughs> I bet it did. Along the way. <laughs> Was it as good fun for you as it looked to us? Absolutely. Everything is still fun. That's something I can't really work out. I'm in a retirement village every third, fourth week with a bloke that comes in and he allows me to go up with him and sort of jam. 
And the people keep coming up saying, Ross, you still got it? And I'm going, what is it? I don't know. Dixie will tell you as a performer, you don't know what it is. You just know whatever you do works. You don't try and fix it even further if it's not broken. Were you a nervous performer or were you just totally relaxed in front of the audience? I got anxious about my performance, but I never, ever got nervous. So where, where was the first place you went on stage in front of a crowd as a young boy or whatever and you suddenly gone, hang on, this is a good place for me to be? Absolutely. Well, that was a night in Ashgrove in Brisbane and I'm still wearing a caliper at that stage of the game. So everywhere I went, I limped predominantly and this band who happened to be the Kodiaks were on stage at this little church hall in Brisbane and I walked up to the bass player who looked like the lead man and I was tugging on his cowgirl leg. Give me a scene, mate. Give me a, let me have a scene. How old were you? Probably 17. The rest of that story is I murdered Boney Maroney. Absolutely <laughs> murdered it. I got a girl called Boney Maroney. Never to be raised again. Ah, funny, funny, funny. And after the gig, he said, what are you doing on the weekend? This is Friday night. I said, I'm doing nothing, man. He said, well, I'll give you an address. I want you up there midday tomorrow. We're going to have a rehearsal. We've got a gig and we don't have a lead singer. That's how it happened. Talking about your limp, Ross, um, you, you had polio as a child, didn't you? Was that an affliction that was hard to live with? No, because... Just imagine looking at the Herald Sun or the posters that come out pre-Easter, Good Friday appeal. They focus on the little ones. You know, like, look at this poor little thing that's just recovering from cancer or a back operation or something. She doesn't know she's ill. She's got no idea because she's not in any pain. So being a youngster, all you do is want to get up and go. And that is the honest truth. If you're not hurting, you don't feel it. So to answer that question, Sandy, no, darling. I couldn't play football. I couldn't play cricket. And you could get up and perform and sing, mate. Can't play guitar. Can't play ukulele. All I wanted to do was sing. And that's what it was. And that's where I developed. And the leg just dragged along with me, mate. It wasn't. <laughs> it came along it for wasn't the a, It wasn't a problem. While you were hosting Uptight and then Happening 70, you started releasing your own singles then too as a performer and, and used that show as a vehicle to push your singles forward. So you had a you had a hit with the cover of Ray Stevens' song Funny Man, but your biggest hit by far was The Star, Here wasn't it? Here comes the racehorse running around Melbourne before oh, he comes to start. And it's coming last every time. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Young gave you that song, right? Yes, he did. And that came about very quickly by we were having a production meeting in Ormond. And John, as long with Ian Meldrum and uh, radio blokes around the joint, he was a frequent guest on the show, or a regular. And he burst into the production meeting. John, this is our production meeting go and do something positive, like go and write me a song. And he said, all right, you star, I will. So he went downstairs 
when the meeting broke up. Downstairs, here was John singing the chorus to Here Comes the Star. And the second he did, I knew that was going to be him. It certainly it was. was. just magic. He had one of those magical moments where he wrote the star and he wrote it for me. You were the star. Yeah. Uh, there is a dark side to that story, but oh, another come on. time. Share, oh, come on, Ross, share the dark side with us. I want to hear that story. We won't tell anyone. Well, the dark side was that David Joseph was then resident in England and the star made number one without too much trouble. You know, went up there national number one. David rang and said, listen, Herman Hermit is about to record the star and release it over here. He said, I want you to get on a plane now. It takes two weeks to come over to Top of the Pops and you will break into, without a doubt, into the European market. Yeah. And you know what? That's one door I didn't walk through that was open. You didn't um, do Top of the Pops. I didn't do Top of the Pops. Now, the dark side of that was that, well, the BBC being a union-run organisation, their rules were no cover version unless the original can reciprocate. In other words, you can't sing it unless we can get the original bloke that sang it over here and do it. And that's the door that I didn't walk through. That's mm. what I'm saying. The bloody song died through lack of support and exposure because neither of us could do um, Top of the Pops. Why didn't you want to? It was a bad choice at the time, Sandy, but without the proper guide, and I believe that David Joseph was that guidance when he left, I lost my way. And I didn't listen to him because I was sitting with a good rating show doing four hours a week and making a reasonable dollar, and we had a successful program. And... To my disappointment, I let myself down. I should have gone for a fortnight. But who would have been comparing my show when I got back? Dixie. <laughs> could have been you. It could well have been. <laughs> okay, so that's what happened. Right. That's what I didn't have the ball to make that move, do top of the pops, and then what? It's another what if story, isn't it? That is. What if? Yeah. Yeah, well, there's the backstory to yeah. that, Sandy. Well, so. thank you. I appreciate you sharing. Yeah, That's something that was, none of us really knew at all. Ross, you found a whole lot of success after you'd finished comparing Uptight and Happening 72, didn't you? Because then you'd made all of these industry friends and you got together with people like Ronnie Burns and, and uh, artist manager Jeff Joseph and Tony Healy as well to form a production company and a public relations company. You were pretty busy. Uh, yes, well... We won't go and look up the records of those publishing company, record company. No. Once again, without the sensible management, and I don't believe I got that from the new production company that took over Upside Way Happening 70. No. Some of us need help on the way, you know. We have, the reason I'm still married and still alive and have an overdose somewhere along the line or become a terrible fishbond is because of my wife. Without her, there's the crutch. There's the reality that you keep going back to. It's because it's phony. It's full of garbage BS. and garbage people. It's show business, isn't it? And so many people, I'm thinking of my dear departed friend Ian Turpy. I mean, he was great on the show but shocking on the business and so many people were. Most artists aren't, are they? That's what I'm saying because you can't manage yourself and make the right decisions. 
So suffice to say, Ross, that if you had your time again, you'd do it slightly differently. Ah, uh, only in trusting somebody. Well, Ross, is there an artist in the world, whether it be Elvis Presley or whomever, who hasn't been, um, you know, taken for a ride or, right. you know, been involved with some shysters in the past when it comes to management or promotion? Yeah, yeah. Very vulnerable people are artists. Yeah. Ross, wind forward 50-something years. Mm. Does it surprise you that all the people that were so enamoured with the show, with you, with your songs, are still that way today? That your songs are still as appropriate and as and as catchy today as they and were fresh. then? Yeah, yeah. fresh, yeah, fresh. Yeah. Well, no, I, I'm not surprised, although in the village there's over 500 people in this village and it's amazing how many of them, well, they're all my age, remember that era and love it and wish that they were back there. <laughs> and I brought a band in during the middle of the year called the Rock and Daddies, and they're still talking about how good they were. Because they played not too loud, but loud enough, yeah. and didn't intimidate them. Yeah. Old people don't want to be intimidated. They want to sit there and, enjoy and reminisce it. or That's dance. Right. Hey, are people still throwing their knickers at you, or are they throwing depends now? No, it's no knickers, mate. They're more like bloomers, big-sized bloomers. <laughs> and that's just the guys. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Yeah. Ross, you are still the star. You we, are still the star. You've always Yay. been the star. And we thank you so well, much for chatting with us today. What a wonderful opportunity to reminisce about those days. I still can't figure out whether it's because we are all young and that's why those days seem to be the best days of our lives or whether, in fact... The music was the best it's ever I been. I think it was, mate. I think yeah. It was. I think you're right on one count at least. It is the music. The other count is that um, the world is looking for a cuddle. Yeah. Everybody's looking for a cuddle. Everybody's yeah. looking for romance of some description, whether it's a, a bunch of new roses that you've planted or whatever it might be. Yeah. We're all looking for that thing. But unfortunately, the world changed where you're looking sideways at each other sometimes as well. That's right. <laughs> oh, Rusty Wiley. You take care and thanks for joining us today on Your Life Choices. My absolute pleasure, people. Lots of love, Ross. See you soon. Bye, Bye now. Oh, uh, Sandy, what a joy to speak to a, a music icon, a legend, a, certainly a part of my life and a very big part of your life, lady, as the president of 13 years of age of the Rusty Wiley Fan Club. Yeah, that was the beginning of my lying, wasn't it? Oh, man. That was, <laughs> was great. Fun. Hey, Sandy, um, can we get together again sometime soon? Sure we can, John. I'd love to. All right. Sandy Kay. Sandy's wonderful website, you should go and check it out and to hear some magnificent artists, international artists who who will be who resonate in your heart. A breath of fresh air.com.au is the place for Sandy Kay's website. A breath of fresh air, one word, dot com au, you won't be disappointed. And thank you so much for joining us here on Your Life Choices, and we'll catch you again next time. <laughs> 